Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Morning, church. Our Bible reading is going to be taken from the book of Titus, um, chapter 3, from verses 3 to 8. When I read, when I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you respond with, um, thanks be to God. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year. And you guys look all very good down there, way down there. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I can't lie to you, I never thought this day would happen. (laughs) Someone sent me a text, he said, after all these years you have betrayed City Lodge Hotel. Uh, There's no betrayal. We we must move. Right? God said, uh, Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. I almost sent that message to the chairman of city. Let us go. Uh, and so you're all welcome. Thank you for those watching. Uh, it doesn't, it, the YouTube channel has not changed, so it's nothing new to you. But for those of us who are here, so happy to have you all. I traditionally wouldn't do this, but I do want to acknowledge, um, everyone here is great, but I do want to acknowledge the presence of someone because they are visiting here. And it's because the person was so instrumental to us being here. It's really the person who has developed, the developer of this place, the main person behind, not just this hall, but this entire building. Her name is Mrs. Toyin Onodele. She's right there. Can we give her a round of applause? We've actually been on this journey now together for almost three years. So even though we have just moved in, she has been our landlady-ish for almost three years, and she's been wonderful. Honestly, we couldn't have done this without her. So thank you so much. God bless you, and thank you for joining us today. 
All right, um, we're starting a brand new series, of course. New year, new place, new everything, all right? And this series is absolutely crucial, absolutely important, and I'll explain why. But first, I do want to cast my uh, mind back. How many of us have, know, have heard of the name Nora Ephron? Anybody know Nora Ephron? Yeah? I expected, uh, where's Faye? I'm sure it's Faye, that, huh? it's Faye. Who else do I expect? Yemi yeah, obviously should know, but... Um, uh, it's one thing to have the age, it's another thing to be culturally savvy. But yeah, Yemi has one of the two. I'm not saying which one it is. Now, um, the thing about Nora Ephron is, Nora Ephron, she was the uh, person, she was a writer, but initially a journalist. She was behind you know, successful movies like When uh, Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, um, You've Got Mail, and the way people are looking at me, some of them are like, which one is that one? Okay. <laughs> Right, they were really important movies. I can't remember. I think Sickness in Seattle won an, he won an Oscar. Yes, it was 1989, but let's leave that aside. But she was, she was a very good writer. And one of her greatest qualities was her ability to capture the essence of a thing, to capture the essence of a movie. But you see, that ability did not start with her when she was writing movies. It actually could be traced back to her training in journalism. In fact, right back to high school in her first journalism class led by a guy called Charlie O. Sims. Now, usually in the first day of his class, what he would do is that he would explain the concept of writing a lead to a story. How many of us know what a lead to a story is, right? You know when you bring an article, the very top of the article, that kind of thing that makes you know whether or not you want to read it. I'm not talking about the headlines that we have on Facebook nowadays that make you scroll up and down. But it summarizes. What, what it does is that it tells you the why, the what, the when, and the who of the article. So he, that's the very first thing he teaches them. Right? He gives them, he says, this, the essential information should be in the lead. So after he has taught them all of that, you know what he then does? He gives them their first assignment, which is what? To write a lead to a particular story towards students of a high school. Now, here's the facts that he gave them concerning that, uh, the assignment. He gives them these facts and says, let them write the lead. Here's what it is. It says, Kenneth Peters, I'm sure it will be on the screen. Kenneth Peters, the principal of Beverly Hills High School, announced today that the entire school faculty will travel to Sacramento next Thursday for a colloquium in new teaching methods. Among the speakers will be anthropologist, Margaret Mead, college president, Dr. Maynard Hutchins, and California governor, Edmund Brown. And he says, write the lead to this, to the students. And so a number of them started putting things together. They were typing, you know, very hard, trying to get the lead. They were trying to put the information there. Some started with something like this, Margaret Mead, Maynard Hutchins and Governor Brown will address the faculty on? Other ones wrote something like this. Next Thursday, the high school faculty will? And on and on, they kept on bringing in their assignments. And each time, he kept pushing it aside. Why? He told all of them they were wrong. You know why? What is the lead to the story? It's essentially this. To the students, there will be no school on Thursday. <laughs> And at that moment, Ephron's immediate response was that she said, I realized that journalism was not about regurgitating the facts, but about figuring out the point. 
And you know, many times in our commitment to certain things, we can figure out the, uh, we can uh, 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 regurgitate facts about the things, but we don't figure out the point. In the same way, many of us can be here, maybe you have been in City Church from the very beginning, maybe you joined in maybe about a year or two ago, and you can regurgitate the facts. Who is the lead pastor? What is the music singing style like? Is it loud or is it low? I think that all of you know that one already. What is their view on tongues? Where do they meet? What is the age range of the, of the people that come there? You see, you can know all the facts and regurgitate them, but do you know the point of why City Church exists, of who they are? And as we enter into this transition moment, I really do believe God is transiting us into better things, into greater things. I really do believe that our best years lie ahead of us and not behind us. And I say that not just to inspire us, you know, without any kind of facts. I believe strongly in my mind. And for us to move forward in that way, we need to be clear about who we are. And that is why we are going on this series. It's a vision card series. We've called it, What is City Church? Or who is City Church? And if you are coming in newly here, you will get a clear sense of who we are. If you have been here for a while and you are not quite sure, I think it will become clearer. And for those of us who have been here right from the beginning, I will say this, because one of our mottos is never to be caught on fresh, you will be refreshed. <laughs> we need to, if we are going to move forward to what God has prepared for us, we need to be clear about who we are and why we do what we do. So if I were to answer in a very short sentence, what or who is City Church? Very simple. We're a gospel-centered urban church with a vision to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. Can I say that again? We're a gospel-centered urban church identity with a vision to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. Now, I want us to think about that identity, a gospel-centered urban church. And notice something, though. It says a gospel-centered church, but at the same time, we hope to participate in a gospel-centered movement for this city. Why this gospel-centeredness coming over and over again? Can I go back to Nora Ephraim? It is very possible to be a Christian who has been reading the Bible for decades and you are able to regurgitate facts about the Bible and not know the point of the Bible. 66 books, 40 authors, New Testament and Old Testament. You may know all of these things. You may know, tell your children about Samson, about Jonah, about Mary, about all of these things. But what is the point of that big Bible? It is the good news about Jesus Christ. And if you want to set up a church that is in line with what God is doing, let the center of the Bible become the center of your ministry. And so that is what gospel centrality is about. We are trying to say that we want the center of the Bible to become the center of this message. So what is this gospel centrality about? Well, that's what we are going to treat today. The title of this message really is, City Church is a Gospel-Centered Church. But I won't say this, not just today, but also what we'll treat next week. 
And this is where, this is a fantastic way, I think, to actually start off our series. It's going to be a teaching series. It's not going to be, there may not be all this fire, brimstone, and all of that. Actually, I want us to unpack, you know, theologically, but also go through the Bible about who we are. What does the Bible say about what it means to be gospel-centered? Are we prepared for that this morning? If you don't, whether you are or not, I've already, is, is here. And the spirit is not moving me to say any other thing. All right. So, this week and next week, we'll be looking at those things. So, let's look at this message today under three headings. Surprise, surprise. Some things never change even when you move. What the gospel is, what the gospel gives and secures, and what the gospel changes. What the gospel is, what the gospel gives and secures, and what the gospel changes. I want us to follow very closely, very closely, so that when next somebody asks you, what is gospel centrality about, you will be able to say it, okay? So let's start. What the gospel is. Now, I don't know how many of you have met my wonderful, looking, gorgeous, amazing wife, Uluatosin. Have you had the pleasure of meeting her? If you've not, I'm sorry for you. Right? I'm just sorry for you. My wife is wonderful. Yes, you can say that again. But let me tell you some things about my wife, something that you may not know. My wife, at one time, hailed from Owo in Ondo State. Yeah, at one time she did. But now, by law, my wife is from where? Say it together. Ijebode. <laughs> Owo is her past. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Ijebode is her, is her present and her future. And you ask, how? How did this thing happen? How did this thing happen? Let me summarize it for you in this statement. Very simple. Is this. Tosi, at one time, hailed from Owo. But when the kindness and love of a stud from Ijebu Ode appeared, <laughs> somebody is catching the spirit here. She upgraded her hometown for a better city. Can somebody say hallelujah? Upgrade. Upgrade. You see, what you notice there is the past of someone, and then there is now the current, present, and the future, but it happened when there was a transition. There was a, at one time, and then it was met with a but when. In a more serious and cosmic thing, what we see in this passage that Ojodale read for us, huh, uh, I just realized that I left some of my, <laughs> I left some of my stuff there. Yes, in the, I don't have the passage. No, I can't even carry yours because I didn't have my, thank you. It's a new, it's, we, are, we are trying to get used to the place, you understand. Yeah. So, in that passage, it says something like this in verse 3. It says, at one time, at one time, everything that comes after that, concerning God's apex creation, which is humanity, everything at one time that comes after that is bad. At one time, what happened? We were foolish, disobedient, deceived. We lived in malice, envy, being hated and hating one another. We had personal issues, but we also had social issues. And the main thing that was driving that was what? That we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and 
pleasures. That was the life at one time certain people had. That is humanity, but this had implication for the whole of creation. But starting with humanity, and this at one time, it says these people lived a bad life, but then in verse 8, it says certain those people should be careful to devote themselves to now doing what is good. Summary. At one time you lived a bad life, you used to do bad things. Now, do what is good. Live a good life. And then the question becomes, on what basis? Now, if you look at verse 8 again, it says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. There, was a, there were certain things that was trustworthy that Paul was telling Titus he needed to stress. If you stress those things, then people will then be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. What are those things? Well, you see those things from verses 4 to 7. And it starts with, you guess right, but when? At one time, but when? When? What happened? The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. What did he do? He saved us. At one time, we lived in a particular way. But because something has happened in history, because God's love and kindness appeared, he saved us, so now you can be careful to devote yourself in living in a particular way. What was the thing about this God's kindness and his love? Let, let me tell you straight up. It was good news. Good news that the God that created is also a God that saves. When the kindness of God our Savior appeared, he what? Saved us. But I also want you to look at something in that passage. Who is the Savior? For what we just read now. Who is the Savior? God. But look at verse 7. and verse 6. On the one hand, in verse 4, it says, God our Savior. In verse 6, it says, Jesus Christ our Savior. It is still God and it's Jesus. Because Isaiah 44 verse 17 tells us, whoever is your God is also your Savior. But how is it that God is our Savior but Christ is also our Savior? Here is the, the good summary. The good news about what God did, the saving God, is that is he did it through Jesus Christ. Are we together? And so when we first think about gospel centrality, the first thing we have to even know is what is the gospel? Well, I can tell you straight up. The gospel, first and foremost, is about Jesus Christ. He is the, very, he is the subject of the gospel. Whatever your definition of the gospel is, if it doesn't have Jesus Christ in it, it's not the gospel. Are we together? He is the subject of the gospel. The gospel, let me tell you, does not have your name inside it. The gospel does not have the name of our country inside it. The gospel is about what God has done to save through Jesus Christ. Now, there's the subject of the gospel, and then there are the objects of the gospel. The subject of the gospel is the main point. Then those who receive the gospel, the effect of the gospel comes on them. They are the objects of the gospel. Are we together? But when we talk about the gospel, we are talking about what God, what God has done through Jesus Christ. He is the subject of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, we have a definition that we have in City Church, but 
you know, all things are passed away. We are, we are moving. We are moving. This is a new place. We have new definitions. All right. Now I've toyed with this and I've uh, 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 modified this uh, this definition over uh, a period of years. I've done so a little bit again, right? But see, the whole essence of this is not for you to cram. And I think I'll try and make you understand this. All right, what the gospel is. But for us to understand it, turn to your neighbor and say, motion leads to definition. You say, what does that even mean? The good thing about us preachers is we can say nonsense. As long as it rhymes, you say, hmm. But I'll take you to two scriptures to explain this before we get to the definition. Two scriptures that you probably read if you've been reading your Bible for a while. Ephesians 4, 7 to 10, and Acts, in fact, let me preach from this last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 10 to 11. Ephesians 4, 7 to 10, Acts 1, um, 10 to 11. Now, notice Ephesians 1, 4, 7 to 10. But each one of us, it, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. All right? He gives graces. Now, he says this is why he's quoting something in the Old Testament, I think Psalm 68. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So the question then becomes, what did he mean in that Old Testament passage? Verse 9. So he asked the question, what does he ascended mean except that before he ascended, he must have what? Descended to the lower earthly regions. Verse 10. He who descended is the very one who what? Ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He first did what? Descended. Abi? Then after he descended, what did he do? All right, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 10 to 11. As they strained to see him rising into the heaven, into heaven, so this is the ascended, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Verse 11, men of Galilee said, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will... Oh, but Jesus, they traveled. So he what? Tell me how the motion goes. He, then he, and then he, he will descend. That's the motion. Descent, ascent, and descent. If you can understand that, you understand what the gospel is. Because whenever somebody is traveling, by definition, traveling means you are going away from home. It means that you are going to accomplish something. All of you are here. You are not going to be here after, uh, I don't know, 12 o'clock or something, are you? You left your home to come here for a particular purpose. You will return home. So Jesus traveling is because he is on a mission. And his mission is what provides us with the definition of the gospel. In his mission, we know he's trying to save. He has accomplished something. He is accomplishing something, and he will yet accomplish something. Are we together? He accomplished something when he? He is accomplishing something now that he has? And he will yet accomplish something when he? We are together. All right. So now, after coming a lot of scriptures, right, let me give you a gospel definition, because there is no one passage of scripture that will give you the gospel fully defined. All right? Here is the gospel definition. The gospel is the good news 
that God has made the incarnate servant and crucified Savior, Jesus the Messiah, the resurrected ascended king priest and righteous judge of the world. Are you noticing certain things? First of all, you see certain identities. Servant, Savior, Messiah, King, Priest, and what? Judge. No, not, not just, just the judge first, not yet righteous. Then you have descriptors of each of those nouns, right? Incarnate, crucified, resurrected, ascended, righteous. Are we together? This servant is incarnate. This savior was crucified. This uh, king priest was what? Resurrected and ascended. And this judge is righteous. Let's, 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 let's go to the next slide. Let's look at it this way. In the first part, you said, you see, God has made the incarnate servant and crucified savior. When did that happen? When he what? That's right. Right? When he descended. Happened in the past. But then, he is the resurrected, ascended king priest. When did that happen? Ascended. And then, he is the righteous judge of the world. When will that happen? Do you see it? Motion. No, turn to your neighbor and say, motion leads to definition. Now, at this point, you're saying, oh, when will we get to me? That's the point. That's the problem we have many times. When we think about ourselves too much, we want to be the good news. Let's pause. It is the good news of God our Savior. You make very bad saviors. If you don't know, ask your, your spouse, ask your babe, or ask your boyfriend. You make very bad saviors. It's about him. You see, all those descriptors are things that we could never, ever fulfill. Now, I want us to look at four passages for me to back this up. Remember, I said this is a teaching series, so touch your neighbor and say, don't sleep now. Don't sleep now. The AC is really good, but don't sleep now. First one, Philippians, and you see some of these things there. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 10. Ah. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 10. We all know this one, right? Now, remember, Jesus is the incarnate servant. Notice what it says. Who being in the very nature of God very nature of God, he, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In the very nature of God. Remember, it is God our Savior. And God, as we know as Christians, is one God, three persons. You say, how is that possible? Because oneness and sameness are not the same thing. He is one, but not the same. He is not the same. There are three persons, but he's one God. Now, the second Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the second one took on humanity. And he was sent. So that's why when Jesus came, he said, I do nothing except the Father tells me to do it. He was the anticipated servant, the Messiah, that was going to do what God had promised through the law and the prophets. Are we together? He did not come on his own accord. He came as a servant. But that servant was, a, was God that put on humanity. He did not lose his divinity. He put on humanity. That is what we call incarnation. Are we together? 
Incarnation. Talk to your neighbor and say incarnation. Say, I've learned good word today. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. So he is the incarnate servant. Are we together? Because if he was going to be obedient to the fullest, he was going to be obedient to what? Go to verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient as a servant to death. You see, in his descent, he descended to humanity and he descended in humanity. He descended to be a human being and he descended to human beings. But God, in order to save, was not, God cannot die, but God as a human being can die. Are we together? And so his obedience pushed him to descend, not just to descend into the world, he descended to the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 says about the gospel that Christ died according to the scriptures. He was what? Buried according to the scriptures. He descended from heaven to earth and from the earth to? From the grave to the? Lord, that lift your name up. You went to, yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes you can't help it. You can't help it. But we are still in the second one. So, he died for our sins. So if he died for our sins, he is our savior. And we know how he died. He went to the cross. So he is the incarnate servant descended into the world. And he is the crucified savior descended to the grave. Are we together? But then in verse 9, he says, 9. Where's 9? Yes. There, and this I don't want you to miss. He says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? So he was exalted to be Lord, Lord or King. All right? But this presupposes, wait, if he's exalted, I thought he was dead. He said, ah, no, no, no. He rose again. He resurrected. Now that takes me to the other scripture. Let's go to quickly to Acts chapter 2, verse 32, 36. Now, notice he is exalted. Don't forget that word exalted. Acts chapter 2. Is Acts chapter 2 there? All right, let me just go to my passage. All right? Uh-huh. Therefore, let all... That's not where it's meant to start. It's meant to start from verse 32. Acts 2, verse 32. All right, God has raised this Jesus to life. So we understand how he was exalted. He wasn't just exalted and ascended, don't forget he's in the grave. So Jesus' first ascent was not the ascent to heaven. His first ascent was from the grave to life. All right? So he resurrected, but as he was resurrected, God has raised Jesus to life, exalted to the right hand of God. So he went from the resurrection and toward heaven, and he's exalted in heaven. That is why he is the resurrected, ascended, now exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from Father the promised Holy Spirit, who he has poured out. Come back to this, who you now see and hear. 34, for David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel know God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So you see, he is resurrected, ascended, and when he's ascended, he's made what? Lord, king. So what about this whole priest thing? See, exalted, right hand of God. That was for him to be king. 
But you see, there's something that happens when you read the book of Hebrews. And you see, those, both this passage here and where I'm going to take you to, the book of Hebrews, they take you and they're looking at the most quoted uh, uh, verse of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Do you know where that is from? The most quoted verse of the Old Testament in the New Testament. They are looking at Psalm 110, where the Lord said to my Lord, sit down on my right until I make your enemies a footstool. But the writer of Hebrews does not make a point about Jesus Christ as Lord. Notice what he says, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Now, he talks about the resurrection here. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. He's saying, look, in Israel, they had many priests. Why did they have many priests? It's because when one comes to the high priesthood, after a while, the man dies. When he dies, Israel must have a high priest. So what do they do? They appoint another one. And eventually, that one dies. What do they do? They appoint another one. So there have been many priests because of death. Death prevented them from continuing in office. But what if you have a priest that can never die again? But because Jesus lives forever, he has a what? Permanent priesthood. Verse 24, 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and see what? That is why in Psalm 110 it says, you are a priest. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And he says, you are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. In other words, his exaltation and his sitting down at the right hand of God, his ascension was not just to be Lord and King, but was also to be what? High priest. Now, let me tell you this. What Jesus has done in the past, incarnation of crucifixion, it starts from one thing. But what, if you say, what is Jesus doing for me today? It is his rulership and his high priestly ministry. We'll get into that, all right? But now we've seen the last four. And then finally, in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, he says this, For he has set a day in which, so he's ascended, but there's coming a time. What is the blessed hope of the church? It is this, that Jesus is going to what? Come again. And when he comes again, what is he going to do? He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice or with righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So shall we go back to that definition again? What is the gospel? That God has made, let's say it together, that God has made the incarnate servant and crucified Savior, Jesus the Messiah, the resurrected, ascended king priest, and the righteous judge of the world. Is it clear? It's all about Jesus and what he did. The person and the work of Jesus. This is really important because everybody loves Jesus. So I don't know who doesn't love Jesus. If you read in Islam, Jesus is a prophet. But Jesus is not, he's not God, so he, you can't talk about incarnation. And then Jesus did not rise from the dead because he actually didn't die. It wasn't Jesus that they put. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's important to know when we say this Jesus on offer, this Jesus on offer, can the real Jesus please stand up? <laughs> and that's why knowing exactly who Jesus is in all of these offices is absolutely important if we say we are getting the gospel right. Amen. Amen. Now, 
that good news of the gospel, talking about what Jesus does to save us because he has saved, he is saving, and he will yet save. Saved because of his first descent, he is saving now that he has ascended, he will yet save because he will descend again. All right? If we respond properly to this good news, I can assure you it will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. Let me tell you this, parents here, parents, all of us. This is part of the biggest problem we have now. Most of us, we are so, if I ask you what is it that you're doing about your child, what is the most exciting thing about your child, you won't say this. You, you, you won't say this directly because you are all Christians and so you know how to give the good answer. But let's be honest, most of us, it is about the education of our children. That is the most important thing. So that our children will be self-sufficient, our children will be this and all of that. If you are a parent, and that is the thing you are most passionate about, can I say that, can you stop today from being a bad parent? You are being a bad parent. The most important thing as a parent, the most important legacy as a parent that you must give as a Christian parent to your children is that they will be wise unto salvation. Why? If you don't see that it was the most important decision on your life, then you will never be able to see it as the most important decision in your children's life. And I can guarantee you, believing this gospel, not to say education doesn't matter, not to say financial literacy for your children doesn't matter, not to say your children learning coding and all the other things don't matter, yes, do all of those. But if they are wise in all the earthly things and they are unwise in internal things, what has been the fruit of your parenting? If we respond properly to this identity and the actions of Jesus, then I guarantee you it will be the best thing we've done. You know why? Do you know why the gospel is good news? It's not good news for Jesus. It is good news for those that receive it. Amen? And so that takes me to my second point. What the gospel gives and what the gospel secures. Now, remember I said Jesus is the subject of the good news. We are the objects. Now, how do we respond to this thing? Well, verse three, uh, verse uh, uh, 5 tells us it is not. Here is it. You don't get right with God by the things that you, uh, uh, by earning it. You can't. It is simply by God's mercy. And it says in verse 8, it says, so that those who have trusted in God, it is those who have trusted in God. So how do you respond to the good news? You repent and you what? Trust. You repent and you what? Trust. The biggest problem we face many times in our relationship with God is still thinking that we can earn something from God. It's still thinking that we owe God. It's still thinking that God cannot accept. See, the most important thing for you to do is to repent and what? Believe. Now, if you repent and believe, here is what the benefits are. And I want to say it in this statement. There are three things, and I will explain them um, very quickly. If you believe, here's what happens. You receive a gospel identity which secures for you an eternal gospel destiny so you can continually grow in gospel maturity. Can we say that together? When you believe, what happens? You receive one, two, three. Gospel identity, gospel destiny, gospel maturity. Say it again. Gospel identity, gospel, 
and gospel. So let's talk about the first one. When you see, if you read at the end of the book of Revelation, it says God, 21 verse 5, it says, I am making all things new. Kevin said that everything is new now. It's true. In the Bible, the Bible is so few, especially in the New Testament. You hear they sang a new song. There is a new covenant. There is a new testament. He will give you a new name. You will become a new man. It's everything about newness. Terrible. All over the gospel. But in those three things I just said, you will experience eight new newnesses. And let me explain. So first, let's talk about gospel identity. What is the gospel identity? What, what is this new fundamental change and identity? You see, like, Victor is here. Victor has different identities. Victor is a father, right? That's one identity. Victor is a husband, right? That's a, you're, you're a husband, Abby. Yeah, okay, no, just check in now. You can't have things, you know, this, this world. All right? There, right? Victor is Edo, right? He's Edo ethnically, right? These are all part of his identity. But what is your most fundamental identity? If you believe the gospel, it gives you a, a new identity based on two things. What God does to us and what God does in us. What God does to us and what God does in us. What God does to us, a new status. What God does in us, new life. What God does to us, new status. What God does in us, what? New life. Let me explain. Notice in verse 7, it says, So that having been justified by faith. <sighs> Many of us are applying. I don't know if you've ever been rejected a visa before. Hands up. Never happened to me until 2019. Thank you, Donald Trump. Yes. You know how whenever you, you, you are rejected a visa, you always have to give an explanation. Yeah, it's not because it's because of Donald Trump. That's my, that's my own explanation. It's a very, very difficult thing. But how many of us, some of us are even already buying uh, citizenship? Citizenship, you are buying citizenship. Some of you are using plan B already. God is seeing you. When Nigeria is flourishing, don't come back. <laughs> don't come back. But notice, when somebody gets a visa, right, you apply for a visa and you are given, when they tell you straight up, yes, we are going to give you the visa. Apart from the feeling of joy you may have inside you, what happens in you? What changes in you? What changes in you? What changes to your blood? Right? What changes in your physical makeup? Nothing changes to you. Nothing changes in you, but something has changed about you. Are we together? All of a sudden, you had a status of not being able to enter before, and now you have a status of being able to enter. It's like those who are married. Whenever the person says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Nothing has happened in you, but something happens what? To you. Amen. And this is what happens when we receive a new status. When we believe in Jesus, we get a new status. Nothing happens in us, but something has happened to us. Are we together? It is through a process. So when it says here, you've been justified, haven't been justified. To be justified is to be made righteous. In other words, the person was guilty, and then through the process of justification, the person was now made righteous. Are we together? So it's like, wait, don't put it back there. So it's like somebody who is a spinster that now becomes a wife. What happened? They went through a process of Somebody who was a foreigner 
that then becomes a citizen has gone through a process of naturalization, right? And so in the Bible, this new status is given to us in different ways. Let me give you seven of them. You've already seen them with Sean. So the guilty become righteous through what? All right, next one. The sinner becomes a saint through what? The slave becomes a freed person, right? Through what? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Next one. The, someone who is Satan's possession becomes God's possession. How? Redemption. That's why he says we are his, his precious uh, possession. Then next one. The enemy becomes his friend through what? We've received the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling us back to himself through his son. Slave, many people find this one most precious, has become a son through what? And then the one we are most familiar with that we always use is that the condemned becomes saved through what? Are we together? It's a new status. So I can look at Olumide now and say, Olumide, are you saved? How? Because he believed. He got a new status. Olumide, are you a son of God? Olumide, are you a saint? If he's a saint, he must be saved. You can't be a saint and not be a friend of God. Do you understand? You can't say, I am a friend of God, but I'm still waiting to be a son of God. It is just expressing it in different ways. Now, the next one is what God does in us. You know, Lagos, this, first of all, this weather is something else. You know, the whole weather has changed totally. I don't understand. We, we, the Hamatan is here, but it's so hot, isn't it? And have you noticed that sometimes you go to work, and after you've gone to work, you've had a terrible day. The traffic was bad. Your AC is spoiled. You are so tired. You are so, you know, your boss tells you, you write to your boss, you say, I can't deliver on that thing today. Please, I've had a horrible day. You are getting back at 7.30 p.m. after you've gone to work at 6 a.m. So you are very tired. And then your friend buzzes you and says, oh, more. Um, these people, the Ojorans are having a, a party this night. And oh, more, it is the party of all parties. The video is going to be there. KSA is going to be there. Eh? Bado is going to be there. Obey is going to be, as in, they are covering all, you understand, all Kenny. He said, the catering, the catering, who is, I don't know who is the main caterer in Lagos today, I don't know. Eh? Wallpaper. One caterer. And some of these caterers, right, they are having the three best caterers. Hey. And you're like, oh my, but I'm tired. And this is where, it's amazing what a bath can do. Have you noticed? Amazing. So somehow you get your maid or somebody to iron for you. You go and take a bath. You take the bath. After you take the, you've taken the bath, all of a sudden, and they bring the clothes, you know, all well creased, everything, put it on. Then you look at yourself in the mirror. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> you say, forget Bado, Bado, bad. As in... This, these guys, you, do you understand? All of a sudden, you've taken a bath. You, because of the bath, you feel more alive. And therefore, you now feel like, I am happy to take on. Let's, you just call your friend. Let's go. You feel renewed. 
Do you understand? You took a bath, you became alive, and you feel renewed. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of what? The Holy Spirit. In other words, God is saying, listen, yes, he has given you a new status, but he's not just concerned about your status, he's concerned about changing you on the inside. And no matter how much your people have told you how wonderful you are, you are an absolute mess. And the mess that is on our inside cannot be solved by behavioral modification. It can't just be solved by some kind of, you know, adjustment here and there. You need nothing short of being made new in the Holy Spirit. This is why John says, except somebody is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Do we understand? In other words, what he's saying is that God through the Holy Spirit washes us, gives birth to us so that we can be renewed. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he gives us a new status and he gives us a new life. That is our gospel identity. Are we together? He generously pours on the Holy Spirit to us. He gives you a new status, not by something you've earned. And he then gives birth to you so that your affections can be new. So that now you can really say, inside also, I am a child of God. It is what God does in us and what God does to us. If that's the gospel identity, where is that taking us? Well, it's taking us to a gospel destiny. Because you see, the identity you have is meant to open doors for you. If you all of a sudden become a friend to a governor, all of a sudden now you can call maybe the president. He opens doors for you. There is a destiny to it. If you come to my estate today, fine, right? If you are not a resident, you will stay on the visitor side. But if you're a resident, you get a sticker. And that sticker enables you to enter into the estate. You get the identity gives you what? A destiny. Last year when Tosin was planning our vacation, she ensured that Weeks before that, I was not hugging anybody. You know, the very funny thing, they always say women are the ones that hug, and the men are, t- in our marriage, I'm the one that hugs. My wife, some of you have been offended because she didn't hug you, just don't be offended, she's like that. So it wasn't hard for her to stop me from hugging people. All right, I stopped hugging people. She always ensured that I wore my mask, right? Why do you think she was doing that? Eh? You don't want to test positive for COVID, but you want to get ill. Because illness ruins holidays. Have you ever been ill on a holiday? Mm. Very bad. But at the same time, she was searching for the best location that we could have. Best place we could have accommodation. A place with nice scenery. The rooms were well kept. Good services. Access to good restaurants and all of those things. Why do you think she was doing that? Let me tell you why. Because a bad environment also ruins holidays. Have you ever booked somewhere where the pictures were great? And you go to the place and you saw things leaking from the roof. Holiday from hell. Yeah, what's Marriott? Every Marriott, uh, no, 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 we are not. If you are here and you work for the Marriott, I just want to say that we're a gospel-centered urban church. We, we accept all. Even those that work in bad hotels, all right? So we're not, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't say anything. Now, I'm, no. We accept vouchers for Mario too as well. Now, what, 
the holiday was going to be ruined by bad health and what? A bad environment. So we get a good location and we get good health and we have a good holiday. And you may be thinking therefore that the holiday is all about health and environment. You missed the point. Why do you think I go on holiday with Tosi and I want to have good health and a good environment? It's for a good relationship. The point of the holiday is with my wife is to deepen my relationship with my wife. But for that to happen, I need a what? Good environment and I need to be in good health. Do you know why we find it difficult to live in this world? Despite our best efforts. You know why? Because, look, no matter how many injections you get, no matter how many vitamins you get, no matter all, at one point, your knee will start to hurt you. At some point, your neck will start to hurt you. At some point, some of you indisciplined people, your stomach will start getting too big. <laughs> right? <laughs> I will, uh, Usher, please, please, uh, there's this person that needs to be excused. I was thinking that we'll, like, New place, they'll stop insulting the pastor, but no, they never stop. Some things never change. But part of the biggest problem we have is that as we age, we get sick. As we get sick, we are further, as we age, going, moving towards what? Towards death. Did somebody say grace? The grave. Okay. I thought Ibuku has come with some new revelation again. We are moving towards that. And why? It's because our body and our interaction, the environment that we have, there are problems, both the body we have and the environment we have. And many times this also affects our relationship with God. So do you know what our gospel destiny is about? Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4. Let me read it to you. It says, then I saw a what? And a new earth, a new environment. For the first heaven and first earth had what? passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And there I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among what? Why? Because God's dwelling place is where? In heaven. Heaven is not where human beings dwell, is it? But now at the end of time, it says God's dwelling place is now what? Among people. Notice what he did not say. It did not say that we are going to heaven. What does it say? Heaven is coming down to us. God's dwelling place is now what? Among people. What would that place be like? They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you see the relationship? This is the point. Now, verse 4. And in that time, he will wipe away every tear from all their eyes. What are the things that cause you tears today? The business packed up. The contractor delayed. The person broke up with you. All of those things, he's saying that there will be a total social transformation in the new heaven and the new earth. Everything that gives us tears will be taken away. He says there will be no more what? Our greatest enemy. He says Jesus is exalted at the highest place. Why? Until I make all his enemies his footstool. The last enemy that shall be defeated is what? Death. Why? Because there's a time when we will rise up and we say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Why? Because Jesus, who is exalted, would have finished his work. There will be a time when those who hear the voice of the Son of God will rise from the grave to never die again. God is giving us new bodies. That's what it means. 
He will give those who believe in him. The destiny is that we'll have new bodies. Bodies that can never be sick. Bodies that cannot experience mental illness. But look, the best bodies. And he's going to put us in a new environment. Part of the world why our work is so difficult, even though we experience some fruitfulness, is it is filled with thorns. The, 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 the destiny that we're heading towards is a new world where there is no curse. Imagine producing music that everybody would like. Imagine going to a restaurant and every, all the food there, you love it. When Jesus comes back, though he's going to close some businesses, Jesus is going to tell every undertaker, you're out of business. Jesus is going to tell every doctor, you have to find a new job. Jesus is going to tell every counselor and every pastor, when you need to apply for a new job, because we don't need you. I am wiping away every tear. I am putting death to death itself. Because he's highly exalted, he will return. He will return to complete it in his descent. Are we following he gives us a new environment. He gives us new bodies. But that is not the point. He does all of those things. Why? Because I will be to them a God and they will be to me what? A people. You, listen, you have a relationship with God. Thank God for that. But how often do you pray well? One small sickness comes in, and I'm speaking about myself because this is the point. Small sickness comes in. Father, Lord, bless this food, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray today. Thank God. You find it hard to focus on him. Or sometimes one small difficulty enters into our life. And therefore, we don't, find, we don't follow God. We start calling people. We start WhatsApping people. Where is our relationship with God? It is not fully where it's meant to be. But it says in Revelation 22 verse 3, at some point, we shall look and see his face. That is the greatest promise in all of Scripture. Don't you forget what Moses said. Moses said, I want to know you. I want to see your face. He said, if you see my face, no one can see my face and live. He says that when we receive new bodies and when God has come to earth, guess what will happen? We will look on what? His face. No more curse. Oh, that is our destiny. And I want you to see something. This is why, as he says, he says heaven was coming down to earth. Now notice, when Jesus first descended, he left his home to earth, isn't it? He left his home to earth. And that is why he had to ascend back. He traveled so that he would return. Do you know that when Jesus descends the second time, he's going nowhere? Why do you think so? Because his home has now been united in the earth. You understand? At the end of time, we'll have the unity of all unities. Our spirits will be united with our resurrected bodies. Heaven will be united with earth. Why? Because God will be fully united with his people. There will, need be, there will now be no distinction between heaven and earth because God was never meant to be separated from his people. It was our iniquities that separated us from our God and he separated our abode from the abode of God. But God in his kindness and love sent us a savior. God in the kindness and love of his heart sent us the gospel message so that when we receive this new identity, we can be anticipating a gospel destiny. Are we together? And so what is your destiny? Is that we will receive new bodies to live in a new environment so that we can fully enjoy a new relationship with God. Is that clear? So what is your gospel identity? You receive new status and you receive what? New life. What is your gospel destiny? That we receive new bodies, right? To live in a new environment so that we can fully enjoy a new relationship with God. Amen.
Now that brings me to my final point. Because somebody will say, well, that's the past. And I'm done with the past. And he says, the future seems way ahead. Does God do anything to us now? Point three, what the gospel changes. The answer to that question is, <laughs> it's like you've not been listening to me. I am talking of nothing short of God totally transforming the world. If this message is true, I am talking about God himself visited this world. I am saying that God died for the problems that we have, the sins. I'm saying that God himself rose from the dead so that the future we are talking about is already in the present. I am saying if God truly, God, oh God, God, truly entered this world and did all of these things, that changes everything. The gospel changes what? Everything. The gospel does what? Changes what? Everything. But what does it mean for you today? But you to think about it, every single one of us, in the present, we live our present based on two things. You know what it is? Our past and the future that we are either anxious of or anticipate. All of us. Your past. Who are your parents? What DNA did they give you? Right? What genes did they give you? What ancestral spirits did they give you? All right? Your past defines you. But also, we are also defined by our future. You may say, I don't want to live in that past. You may say, I want to be the best doctor possible. You may say, I want to have the best uh, 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 logistic business in Lagos. I, your future, or you may say, I'm scared of never getting married. Or you can say, I'm scared of never having children. Or you can say, I'm scared that something bad will happen to my children. Our past and our futures always define our present. And so when we have defined what our gospel identity, what God has done in the past for us and the future, what the gospel does to change everything is what? It uses what it has accomplished in the past, what it will accomplish in the future to start accomplishing stuff in our present now. Is that clear? And that is why we go back to that statement. It says you receive a gospel identity which secures for you an eternal gospel destiny so you can continually grow in gospel maturity. In other words, if those two things are true, then, back to verse 8, so that those who have trusted in God should do what? Be careful to devote themselves to good things. That eternal gospel, please, one of the big problems we have in Lagos today is this, and I'm not trying to cast a aspersion on any church, but sometimes we are too we live too much in the present. We live too much in the present such that we destroy our present. We want gospels that only tell us about breakthrough, about what you will do here, about how God will give you children, about how God will give you a relationship. We always want to have a relationship about and to define the scope of what God is doing in the present. If you do that, you have close to a false gospel. Because God is very much about the present, but he's about the present because he has secured our past and secured our future. Do we understand? It's on that basis he's transforming us in the present. So how do you carefully devote yourself to good things? It is by rooting yourself in the gospel. In Colossians 2, verse 6, to, uh, verse 6 and 7, he says, In the same way you have received Christ Jesus, 
you should now grow in him. Being rooted and built up, strengthened in him as you are taught. Do you understand? The gospel is not just the ABC of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. You start with the gospel, you continue with the gospel, and you end with the gospel. Amen. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because don't forget, Jesus ascended to heaven. But what happened? The Holy Spirit came down. So whatever Jesus is doing in heaven, the Holy Spirit is accomplished. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. That's why when you cast out demons, he said, by the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has come unto you. Is Jesus interceding before, for us, before the Father? Yes. But the Holy Spirit is interceding inside our heart with groanings that cannot be uttered. Do you understand? Whatever Jesus is doing in heaven, he is doing with the Holy Spirit here on earth. And so the Holy Spirit is here to transform us. How does it transform us? Three more new things and I'll be done. He redirects us to a new devotion while living for a new mission in a new community. How do you get to grow? He redirects us to a new devotion while living on a new mission in a new community. Can I say one more time? How do we grow? How does he do this maturity? He redirects us, let's say it together, he redirects us to a new devotion while living on a new mission in a new community. Now, the next sermons, three, four, and five, will be devoted to that. But let me just say small, certain things about those things. A new devotion. Remember in verse three, it says, our big problem is that we are enslaved to passions. The most fundamental thing a human being does is not to think, is not to act, is not to write. The most fundamental thing that makes us human is that we worship something. The worship of what we, whatever we worship affects what we do. It affects how we think. It affects how we, how, how we love. If you worship money, it will affect how you drive, your money drives everything that you think about. If you worship sex, it will, it will drive how you hook up with people and do all of these things. Whatever we worship affects our minds, it affects our emotions, it affects our wills. The first thing you have to sort out is your worship. Now, we may be saved by God, it is true, but that doesn't mean we don't still worship idols here and there. So what it does to transform us fundamentally is this. It starts to move our devotion away from even good things and legitimate things. It starts to move our devotion towards worshipping the true God. Are you following? That is what transformation is about. That more and more we worship God, more and more we live up to the status that is given us. A new devotion. But, and please put up Ephesians 4 verse 7 um, and 13, uh, 11 to 13 for me. You can't do this alone. You were never meant to do this alone. God said it is not good for man to be alone. You see that whole Ephesians 4 that we read that we talked about Christ's descent and ascent. It explains to us why. Notice how he starts. He said, but to each one of us, grace or a gift has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Who are the each one of us? Those in the body of Christ. So he then explains, he says, Christ himself gave us, not just gifts in us, but he gave us gifts of men and women. He gave us apostles, he gave us prophets, he gave us evangelists, he gave us pastors and teachers. Why? For the church, to equip the people, the people of the, for works of service, so that the, what the body of Christ is church. 
a very dangerous thing you have is being a lone ranger Christian or being the Christian that just dips into church and comes out. A consumeristic Christian. You will never be equipped for works of service. Let me tell you this. It may sound controversial. If your Christian life is primarily lived through your family, it's not, you have, your family is not the covenant community of God. Your family, you have responsibility to your family. You should live godly lives. You should express that. But Jesus Christ did not say, I will build your family and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I will build what? My church. You bring your family to church. In this community, he says, I want you to grow. It is in this community he equips us by the Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts, as we saw, to serve and also to be what? Served. When you come to the community, it is here that we can now worship God together. I am not saying you shouldn't worship privately, but look, when you find it hard to worship privately, come together at church. It is here we pray together. It is here we study and learn together. I will, are you together? He grows us in maturity as we live together in this new community. And finally, a new mission. Everyone here who is a Christian, why are you still on earth? Why are you still here in this earth? Because all of us, by when Jesus comes, all of us will die. So why are you still here? You know why you are still here? You've not lived out God's purpose for you. You've not. The moment you die, you can't live out the purpose of God on earth. Are we together? But remember, it's not your purpose. It is his purpose. All things work together for those who are, for, all things work together for good for those who are the called and are, are called according to what? His purpose. He gives us a new reason for living. If now you worship God, you don't say, I live for myself. You live for the one who bought and purchased you. Put that Ephesians 4, 7, 13 again. He gives us works of service until we reach the unity of faith. The works of service is the new mission until we reach the unity of faith, come to the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. And I think you may have seen something there. New devotion. New, uh, sorry, new community. New devotion. And then new mission. What's the mission of City Church? To build what? To build what? A community, new community, of worshippers, new devotion, on what? Mission, new vision. What are our values? Love what? Love Jesus. Let me say love God. Hey God. Jesus is Lord. Love Jesus, new devotion. Love people, love God's people, new community. Love Lagos, new mission. And we're going to look at all of those things as we go through this. But I want you to see, therefore, if you really truly believe that being part of a gospel-centered urban church is part of what God's plan is, if what I've just explained to you is something that captivates your heart, can I say that the city church is the place for you? Can I invite you to go on with us in this journey? Can I tell you that it will be a rocky, bumpy ride, but it will be a ride of progress because we'll do so by the grace of God. If you've been here for a while and you didn't understand it, I hope you are getting it now. The center of the Bible should be the center of the ministry. 
The reason why we inspired and motivated should be because of the gospel. Because you have a new identity. Because you are going towards a gospel destiny. And so that on the basis of those two things, you can grow in gospel maturity. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.